Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hope you guys are all doing well. If you're new here, welcome. If after watching the video or listening to it, you find you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor, hit that like button and also consider subscribing. Now let's dig in. The case of the four University of Idaho students who were done in by a real-life boogeyman or woman, remains unsolved more than 46 days after the crime, leaving the victim's families and Moscow in a state of anxiety and fear. Police have said they believe the house and possibly some of the victims were targeted and the crime was personal. That hasn't made any residents feel any safer. And it doesn't help that the police are still saying that they have no suspects. Whether that's true or not remains to be seen. Some think it could be a ploy to lull the perpetrator into thinking he's off the hook and can now relax his behaviors. Some think the cops are telling the truth and they really have no clue who did this. Either way, the fact remains that no one has been arrested for this brutal and senseless crime. And whoever did it was drawn for one reason or another to that house at 1122 King Road. The cops have done 250 interviews so far. That number came from a reporter who works for the Idaho Statesman newspaper and who was on Surviving the Survivor. We don't know how many of those are second interviews, nor do we know how many of those are interviews with neighbors. Let's hope the cops have cast a wide enough net and haven't let anyone living around there slip through the cracks. Look at Delphi. The suspect there went to the police to talk to them, and still he fell through the cracks for five and a half years. Here's what we do know. The uninvited offender was audacious and confident. This person crept into a large three-story rental home where five inhabitants and one guest were either falling asleep or fast asleep. Then the offender entered the most sacred of sanctuaries in any house, the bedrooms. Once inside, this person subjected four of the home's inhabitants to a savage, blitz-style attack in which he held all the power. With that sharp-edged object, the offender made all the decisions as to who would live and who would die. This crime appears to be rooted in rage, power, and a desire for revenge. The perpetrator, along with having a plan to inflict fatal wounds on at least one targeted victim, possibly more, had another objective, and that was to not get caught. In some mass events like this one, the perp actually uses the crime as a way of doing himself or herself in. That person counts on the cops coming for them and doing them in. That's not what happened here. Here we have someone who wants to continue living and wants to do it outside of a prison. That took planning. The offender thought through this crime, perhaps studied other crimes and offenders, to see how it's done. The perp made the decision to strike at an hour when it was dark outside and when most people were asleep. The house he hit was in a neighborhood where party sounds and even screams, if we are to believe the girl's neighbor, Enon Harsh, were normal. 
especially on weekends. And although we don't know what the victim's toxicology reports will reveal, at least two of them, Kaylee Gonsalves and Maddie Mogan, had been out drinking and were under the influence to some degree. And if I had to guess, I would say that all the victims were unarmed or unable to reach a weapon, even if they had one. I don't think any of these details were down to chance. The perpetrator also had the physical strength and stamina to do four adults in with that sharp-edged object. That takes a body that is strong, likely muscular. This guy also knew how to do living beings in with a sharp-edged object. He knew where to place his jabs and slashes so that his victims would succumb to their injuries. Idaho is a state full of hunters. One of the tools hunters carry are sharp-edged objects. Is this perpetrator a hunter? That's a definite possibility. The problem is so many guys in Idaho are hunters, and we've even seen this with some of the students who socialized with the victims. At least two of them have photos on their Facebook pages of them holding the antlers, their prey. Here's another possibility. Veterans Day was Friday, November 11th, just two days before the crime. In Moscow, Idaho, Veterans Day appears to be a big deal. And this year, it was celebrated not just on that Friday, but also on that Saturday and Sunday. That weekend, there were flags flying in honor of veterans on the streets of downtown Moscow and along Highway 8. Several events in the town were planned for the weekend. There was the traditional Veterans Appreciation Dinner at 5 p.m. on Friday at the new ICCU Arena on the University of Idaho campus. Lieutenant General Eric Peterson, who graduated from the university in 1986, was the keynote speaker. On Saturday, there was a gathering at the American Legion Post on Howard Street in the downtown area where the Moscow High School Choir performed. And over at the Moscow Moose Lodge on Main Street, there was a dart benefit featuring a barbecue lunch, a raffle, a silent auction, and a live band. Saturday also saw the Moscow Elks Lodge sponsor a 6K run, walk, or ruck. We've all heard about the type of sharp-edged object the police said was used in the crime, and that it was one that was originally developed for the military. Is it possible that these Veterans Day events could have attracted someone to Moscow who was trained in using those objects, someone who'd done people in before, maybe in battle, who had the strength, the stamina, and the cold heart needed to do in four human beings without guilt, without a conscience, and without becoming physically ill at the sights and scents involved in such a grotesque act. And could that person have been someone who was aware of one or more of the girls who lived at 1122 King Road, maybe because of a previous veterans event, or maybe because of some of the girls' Instagram accounts where they pose for the camera in any number of alluring outfits. For some guys, that type of thing is like crack or candy. It makes their soap sudsy, if you will.
I think if the police really have no suspects at this point, then they need to widen the pool of who they're looking at. And before any trolls out there come at me for insinuating that a military person could be behind this heinous crime, let me tell you, my dad is former military. He fought in the army in Korea and has a purple heart to show for it. I'm a proud daughter of an army veteran. That said, I can name five former military men who went on to become violent takers of human life. Number one, Brooklyn native David Berkowitz, a.k.a. the Son of Sam. He enlisted in the Army in 1971 and was in an infantry division in South Korea. Starting in July of 1976, Berkowitz went on a crime spree in which he terrorized the citizens of New York City for more than a year. When all was said and done, Berkowitz had injured more than a dozen people and done in six human beings. Number two, Gary Ridgway, otherwise known as the Green River Blank. The last word there rhymes with tiller, but starts with a K. YouTube doesn't like that word. Ridgway enlisted in the Navy served on board a supply ship in Vietnam and engaged in combat when he took supplies upriver in patrol boats. During his dark criminal career, Ridgway is thought to have done in at least 71 teenage girls and women in the 1980s and 1990s. He wasn't caught until the science of DNA testing progressed to the point where he could be tied to one of the crimes. 3. Who can forget Milwaukee's Jeffrey Dahmer? Dahmer enlisted in the Army in 1979, and he trained as a medical specialist. He was eventually stationed in Baumholder, West Germany, as a combat medic. However, he ended up getting kicked out of the Army for excessive drinking. Dahmer had already begun his career as a serialist before he joined the Army. His first victim was an 18-year-old hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks. Dahmer, who had just graduated from high school at the time, lured Hicks to his family's home on the pretext of drinking. Over the course of a decade, Dahmer would do in 16 more young men. And I can't even talk about the horrific things he did to those people. And you could say Dahmer got his just desserts because after he was finally caught and sent to prison with a life sentence, a fellow inmate decided to take fate into his own hands. He did in Dahmer in November of 1994. Number four, Dennis Rader, a.k.a. BTK. After dropping out of college, Rader joined the Air Force he served from 1966 until 1970. Part of his stint included serving at the Kadena Air Base in Okinawa, Japan, and the Takikawa Air Base near Tokyo. In 1974, four years after returning to civilian life, Raider began his career as a serialist. He did in four members of the Otero family, in Wichita, Kansas. Raider was someone who really thought about how he could cause a community 
the greatest amount of terror. As a result, he decided not to target just young females like a lot of other serialists, but rather anyone and everyone, from children to adults and from males to females. This meant everyone in the community was a potential next victim. After the Otero family, Raider did in three women over the course of the next three years. A lover of being in the limelight, Raider wasn't content sitting back, staying quiet, and flying under the radar. No pun intended. His ego drove him to send an anonymous letter to a local TV station. In the letter, Raider took credit for the crimes and even suggested that they call him BTK. B stands for bind. T is for a word that means to deliberately inflict severe pain on living beings. And K is for a word that rhymes with pill but starts with K. Again, YouTube frowns on those words. Talk about a depraved person. It took decades before Raider was finally caught. In 2005, advances in DNA science tied him to one of his victims. Raider is known to have done in 10 human beings, and he's currently serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. And finally, number five, Randy Kraft otherwise known as the freeway blank. The word that belongs in that blank starts with a K and rhymes with tiller. Kraft enrolled in ROTC while a student at Claremont Men's College in California. He joined the Air Force shortly after graduation in 1968. After getting through basic training, Kraft was stationed at Edwards Air Force Base in California. There, he supervised the painting of test planes. Someone has to do it. Shortly after getting promoted to Airman First Class, Kraft let it be known to his superior officers that he was into guys romantically. This led to him getting a medical discharge in July of 1969. Kraft would go on to be convicted of doing in 16 men, but that number might really be more like in the upper 60s, around 67. Several of his victims were Marines that he picked up near Camp Pendleton. It wasn't until 1983 when Kraft was pulled over for drunk driving near Mission Viejo, California, that law enforcement found a Marine named Terry Lee Gambrell in the passenger seat deceased. Kraft had placed his hands around Gambrell's neck, and while he never confessed, Kraft was eventually convicted for doing in 16 human beings. He now sits on death row at San Quentin State Prison, along with others, including Scott Peterson, who was convicted for doing in his wife Lacey, Richard Allen Davis, who was convicted of harming Little Polly Class, and Morris Solomon Jr., who was convicted for doing in a string of ladies of the night in the Sacramento region. Whether or not any of these heinous criminals in San Quentin will ever be done in, however, remains to be seen. California is currently in limbo when it comes to this type of penalty. The men and women sitting on death row in San Quentin are to be sent to other maximum security prisons, 
No one has been subjected to this most severe of penalties in California since 2006, and the state currently has an execution moratorium. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Now do me a favor, help me with that algorithm, smash that like button, subscribe, leave me a comment, consider a membership if you enjoy my work, and I'll see you next time.